Larry Davis with the avias, wavier, nuff labia, spread majora to menorah, gush glacius, gravier, much crazier, want savior, cagier, I don't wanna talk about rapier, shit wild enough at the cribble, man, many like Mazi, I pronounce piling up on the mirror, hero, make you pirouette like Spiro, make you hit the bed like pillow, poppy green car, cold red, that's the bureau, zero, don't listen to the music, but I do like the fiddle, mirror, metal, mirror, mirror, metal, metal, mirror, metal, metal, flipping pictures like Reuters, my niggas in the trenches, dig the ditches, man, pernicious like lawyers, your boy is infamous, it's like noitus, your boy is in the civic with them blinkers, sticking bitches like coitus, voyage, every time I get knocked, I come back worse, every time my shit drop, y'all come back thirster. All right, we're back. And uh, Quentin, this week we are the LA Dojo Bros to commemorate the return of the wrestler, uh, Katsuyori Shibata. Um, really surprising, shocking uh, deal there. Uh, what did you win? Uh, how have you been, I guess? And, uh, yeah, get into that. I'm good. It's fun, it's fun to be in a space where Katsuyori Shibata could come back and all be in an exhibition capacity. Could come back and wrestle a match. And no one cares. That's a it's a, it's a real interesting spot. It's a it's a real interesting spot to be in right now. But I'm good. Been watching basketball. Bas- the NBA season just started back up, so been watching some of that. And uh, been reading Blood, Blood in My Eye, uh, a collection of George Jackson's letters and all that stuff from the inside of uh, inside of prison. I'm reading that. I go, like so I've done this thing now where I go back and forth. I read like multiple books at a time, so that's been the one I've been reading for the last couple of days. I've been going for, back and forth between that and captive and captive genders. Oh, nice, nice. Um, I heard an uh, interview earlier today. Someone who just wrote a book. I think it was called. I think it's called Inflamed. Um, some doctor here in LA talking about uh, health outcomes, and she was referencing a study of uh, indigenous people. That controlling for everything else, uh, if there's groups of indigenous people, indigenous tribes that spoke their native language, um, those people were less likely to have diabetes than, again, everything controlled, same people who don't speak their native language. Pretty fucking interesting um, to think about the way that that colonization affects long-term health outcomes. Um, yeah, yeah, I would say, like, if I, yeah, like, just like a testament to that colonization and imperialism leads to giving people these life-altering diseases <laughs> yeah exactly shocking who would have fucking known but when you, you listen to a doctor who's talking about actual studies that prove this stuff it's like god damn um you know we're just fucked up and then, did you see the um did you see the nfl thing no no where um so pretty much the nfl and uh former and black former players had this thing going on where, where when it came to like CTE settlements that they were trying to say that black former NFL players pretty much already were coming in with a lower cognitive level. Oh yes, I did hear all about this. Yeah. So that's so when so when they have their CTE and dementia and their brain damage and everything that they were trying to say well, you guys, like, how do we really know the difference between because because you guys aren't really coming in at that high of an IQ level in the first place? <laughs> yeah, it's fucking insane when they're talking about the payouts are based on, yeah, and, and not even because they don't even do actual baseline study from player to player. They do, like, an average societal study and of IQ, which it's like, come fucking on. <laughs> IQ has been debunked for so goddamn long that, like, yeah, to be using that as the as the metric and then being like, oh yeah, the black players come in with such low IQ and then they're knocked down so low from their cognitive function after playing in the NFL then that we're going to like, you know, come up with a, a some kind of algorithm to decide how many points of your IQ was knocked off that you deserve to get paid off of. Jesus Christ. Um yes, that was like fuck it. It's a, it's one of those things where I feel like it hasn't gotten talked about as much as it should have because that's fucking insane. Yeah. But I barely see anybody really talk about it. Well, it's the fucking, it's the algorithm thing that people talk about when they talk about the, you know, people use the concepts of computer generated algorithms doing this kind of stuff 
as being like, oh, that that's going to help uh, like eradicate racism and stuff like this. And the, the best way I've heard but, it described when it comes to algorithms is algorithms trash in, trash out. When they set up the algorithm, if they're using basis like an IQ test to set up the algorithm, that's a trash data point that you start with. So you end up with a trash outcome that the algorithm produces. It's still it's still like it's still like man made man input information. So yeah. if they're coming if a guy is coming in with the idea that black athletes are dumb and henceforth when we look at what their brains look like after after their football careers, that means that that means that there really isn't that much of a difference from their brains then and their brains now. Yeah, you're gonna get an algorithm that look that looks like that because they're already coming in with like this biased information <laughs> exactly yeah the policing algorithms it's the same thing where they say oh, okay well these are the neighborhoods where we arrest the most violent crime it's like yeah those are the neighborhoods that the cops choose to patrol and choose to pick people out and decide who's you know what I mean? like it's the same thing it's these decisions are not being you know it's you're not outsourcing the decisions to computers you're just basically algorithms are just codifying the same oppressive regimes that already exist and covering it in a patina of ad, ag, ah, objectivity through computing but it's not it's fucking brutal man no, it's, it's, it's it's complete like you know like you know like people like love saying you know men lie women women lie numbers don't lie it's doing that kind of shit but right. making sure like well you know hey the numbers say this and it's like yeah, because you guys have been patrolling these same neighborhoods relentlessly for the, for the last 40 years. Yeah, exactly. Where do you think you're going to get the most fucking arrests? The neighborhoods that you patrol and, and accost people or the neighborhoods where you don't even go? And they have their own fucking security guards who handle everything internally. And, that's, and, that's not, and then, like, obviously that's not even counting, like, the, like... Fluffed up, fluffed up, falsified arrests where they're detaining yeah. people because they're looking for a person of interest in the make sure they meet they meet like certain stat numbers and quotas. <laughs> they, they 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 detain and arrest someone. Like yeah. it's not even counting the shit like that. But you know, <laughs> right? Well, it's I mean uh, the, the 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 statistic where they say, oh, you know, BLM and and the statistics about uh, police uh, murdering unarmed black men is out of blown out of proportion because when you look at the actual statistics and it's like okay who reports the the statistics of unarmed black men that are shot by the police the fucking police and they decide what is and isn't considered an unarmed black man so shockingly they don't report a ton of oh we shot a bunch of unarmed black men you know what i mean like what the fuck of course when they're the ones yeah, who pick like, up the data they can make it up they fudge it how many times do you think got cops plant some kind of weapon or will overblow the severity of a weapon like and say that someone has something that they considered a weapon even if it wasn't so technically they were they weren't unarmed i don't know no, no, they do that they do that all the time of course yeah. and it's like people are then surprised at the idea like hey, like when something comes out Oh, we've uncovered seventy-five thousand new cases where a black person has uh, made com made comments about being harmed by the police or being brutalized or whatever by the police, and the police didn't report it. And I'm like, yeah, duh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you think that everything? You think that like the extent of seeing all these terrorized black people on the news is? that's just it those are just completely isolated incidents and those are only ones that <laughs> happen no like no it's pol police departments police departments lie <laughs> yes of, co of course they fucking do we all know that they do you i mean fuck it you can and then you can find even just the tip of the iceberg with the like the stuff that you can find from people recording police officers with their camera phones going around auditing them and it'll be like you know just white passing white looking guys like hanging out in the fucking post office and getting accosted by the police because they're filming in a post office where they're legally allowed to and the cops will do everything in their power to try to trick people and and fucking force people into bad situations you think in situations where they don't have a camera that they're not pulling a ton of fucking shady bullshit beyond just like that but also planting weapons planting drugs i mean i fucking saw a video like that not too long ago on twitter where someone had a fucking video camera on the police and you saw the cop throw a fucking baggie into the back seat of their car that shit is brutal like are you kidding me yeah and you think that the cops there's, there's a whole history <laughs> go ahead oh no i was gonna i was saying go ahead <laughs> 
Oh, but like there's a but there's a whole history of like you know, before I got to a point where I was like realized like, oh yeah, like I'm a black radical, like I'm, like all these things that like communism and socialism believe in, like, oh yeah, I actually already already believe those things. So like before I even got to that point, back in college I'm doing research papers uh based off race and stuff like that. You know, everyone gets a point like that in college. And I'm doing this information for a presentation and I'm I'm finding this info on the relationship between black people and police and how far that level of distrust goes back to. And yeah, you you're you, you can find stories of a black couple driving to the hospital because the woman's water broke and they're they're trying to go to the hospital, hospital so they can uh have the woman go into labor and give birth to the child. They're so they're speeding naturally. A cop pulls them over and shoots and shoots the father dead in the car. <laughs> like it, yeah, it's like like shit like that is like it's so like real and has been going on forever. But then uh, I mean these are this is just a small sample size. And when you really look at like no they they fucking lie they yeah <laughs> they've killed people going to hospitals so you know for the birth for their children. <laughs> yeah, it's goddamn yeah. Ah, uh, fucking hell, man. Like, obviously it's fucked up for everybody, but Jesus Christ, like, the amount of, of, of bullshit. And, I mean, when you, people talk about the history of black radicalism and specifically, like, black socialism and, you know, community-based benefits and, and mutual benefit, mutual aid through black communities, it's like, of course they're fucking demonized and continue to be attacked. We're, like, beyond the point of, like, the basic concept of chattel slavery and why they're separated because of you know that to the point now where it's like they have too much of a community and at some point you know people in charge realize that community leads to communism leads to socialism leads to you know capitalism getting community it. community community leads to revolution and like yeah. you know like J. Edgar Hoover like he saw he saw the way the way the way of the world and he was like oh yeah enigmatic charismatic leader like means sweeping revolution throughout a country. Mm-mm, can't have that. I know exactly. He was he was, he was on it. He he was on it immediately. Yeah, it's fucking, it's fucking brutal, man. Um. Well, <laughs> G one, real quick. I think we should just get it out of the way. Did you watch uh, Shibata and Zach do their five minute little grapple grapple on? I did. It was fun. I liked it. It was quick. It was good. It was the best thing I've seen Zach do in forever. Even though he had a pretty solid uh, G one, it was definitely. Did uh, Did you see Zach versus Okan? Uh yeah yeah I really liked that a lot too actually. You're right. You're right. He had some good ass. Well, matches say, like, that's like that's a that's a, that's a, I say that's a total ten match. Yeah yeah he had he had a couple full good matches throughout the G one this uh this this run here the Okan match was awesome um. The match with uh, Takagi, that was really good as well. Ishii match was better than a lot of their matches. Um, I found it kind of interesting because they played off a ton of stuff, right? That's like uh, Zack's first match in New Japan was against Shibata. Shibata maybe selected Zack as the person to to go up against here. But one thing that I I thought that I you know my internal like canon of what made sense here was. Zack was the only person who actually beat Naito. Everyone else got points for beating Naito, but Zack actually beat him. So that yeah. this was like a uh, a prize. You know, he deserved he deserved something special for having been the only person who actually had to earn their points against Naito and didn't just get him uh, get him for free. So he got a special. Andy Andy actually Andy actually beat the champ. So like yeah. we'll probably get we'll, we'll probably get a Zack versus Shingo title defense to end the year, I guess. Yeah. And uh, we'll get into some title title stuff in the end here because we're going into the, the Tokyo Dome stuff. But uh, the okay, you watched the semifinals or did you did you check those out at all? Yeah, I saw. Kind of the, the last United. Um, Zach versus Zach versus Tonga Loa um, was actually pretty good. I thought the yeah. uh, you know I thought that was probably Tonga Loa's best match of the G one and. Most people, a lot of people, had called it that uh, Tamatanga had already beat Taichi in the B block, so this was setting up another Techers versus GOD um, title match or whatever, which 
Whatever, that's fine. I've, I've the, the like the Ibushi going to a fourth straight final was just such a boring fucking thing that I was like, there's no way they'll do it. But you know, common sense. Common, I guess. Like you know, it, it was too late. It 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 was too it was too much pushing towards it to to fight against it. And eventually, I was like, all right, whatever. And then Ibushi versus Kenta. Kenta had some good matches. Like I liked Kenta versus Ishii a lot, and I liked Kenta versus Zack. But Kenta versus Ibushi was just disappointing. And like Kenta versus Ibushi have been disappointing both times it's happened. It was disappointing in Dallas and it was disappointing um here. And maybe they just don't have the best chemistry, but I didn't really like Ibushi's G1 in general. And it was a pretty flat uh final block night victory for Ibushi going into it when last year it was the Ibushi versus Taichi match. And Ibushi versus Taichi was fucking it was fucking phenomenal, so yeah, I, it, it that was just that was disappointing. Okada versus Cobb, that was their worst match so far. Yeah, I thought I was not into I thought, it. Yeah, yeah, like I mean, maybe it's because it felt like a foregone conclusion that Okada was going to win it. Maybe no, but, not to me because I didn't think it was a hundred percent definitely going to be Okada personally when I was watching it, and it still it didn't. It just I could have I go ahead. I could have seen. I could have seen. I could have seen Cobb versus Abushi as a final. I guess, but that'd have been like a really big push for Cobb. But yeah, like I thought. The, I thought out of the three matches I've had this year, I thought that was the worst Okada versus Cobb match, and and that one that was disappointing. And the B block has been, you know, it was pretty panned as it was going on. So there's nothing else really that's worth noting no. on that B block final night. Um, but Okada versus Cobb. I, I wish. I wish it was better. I, I will say one thing that stood out to me, like you just mentioned, Okada versus Cobb, not great. I think not their best match with each other. I thought Okada looked a bit off. Uh, Cobb looked okay, but not great. Um, and just kind of boring and, and going through the motions. Kind of more back to the, I guess, the way that other people used to always see Cobb and talk about him. That's kind of how I felt here. It just didn't have the same presence that he's had even throughout this G1. Um, but on the underneath, something that stood out to me was Taichi and, and Tanahashi. Um in good and bad, oh, yeah. okay. I dug the match. I thought Taichi was really good in it. I thought the story that they were telling in the match was really good. But also that, like, Tanahashi just looks so old now, man. It's fucking crazy to see. Um, not to say, like, he looks bad in the match. His performance was solid and the match was good. But uh, but he's just, you know, time comes for everyone, I guess. Um, looking pretty uh, <laughs> pretty older now, finally. Finally, time is catching up to him. And, but it's just so funny to see him and then Okada and... Uh, and he's finally looking kind of old, and Okada looks like he's catching up to Tanahashi already. Like, Okada and Tanahashi are looking like they're the same age at this point. Um, and it's just not not the best. Um, the G1 final match itself, Ibushi versus uh, Okada. Do you have any thoughts on it? I've never, I haven't been the biggest fan of the Ibushi-Okada pairing in general. Like, the last few years that they've run it. And... I mean, I know what happened later on into the match, but the first few, but, but the first few stages of it, the first couple of segments didn't really grab me. I wasn't super intrigued by it. And then as they're getting ready for the finishing stretch, Ibushi breaks his arm, doing a Phoenix Splash. So I don't, I don't fucking know, man. Like Naito hurts his knee, he's out for the tournament. Ibushi breaks his arm after coming back from double pneumonia and shit. Like. Will Ospreay, Will Ospreay left for whatever reason. For whatever reasons he had going on, what a fucking snake bitten bad luck run for New Japan. And New Japan has had bad luck over the last like few years. I think that like people look at the stars that New Japan has made and forget the levels of like bad luck and like things that they've had to work through in order to create some of these stars and like you know achieve through certain situations. We've seen. Uh, Prince Devitt leave. We've seen AJ Styles. We've seen AJ Styles leave. We've seen Kenny Omega leave. We've seen we've seen the 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 Naito push not take immediately. We've seen Abushi when he was juggling time between DDT and New Japan, and he wasn't right mentally and needed a break and needed a break physically. We've seen Katsuyori Shibata when he drew this big gigantic house at Sumo Hall. It wound up being the last match of his career for for a while. And so they've worked through like adversity before, but 
to have this Abushi stuff happen twice in the last couple in the last few months. Naito out for the entire tournament. Osprey, Jay White, Minoru Suzuki, Juice Robinson, David Finley, all missing, all missing. Some of this stuff you really can't blame them for. And it's, it's, it's like it's shit like this. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there's the snake bit side of it, but then there's also the 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 unforced errors of why do they have so much of their talent that they send them out or so much of their talent upset and leaving the country. Um, yeah. when, when you could have filled in this G1 with some of those guys and maybe let Abushi take some more time off. I mean, maybe it was his choice to come back, but also it's not his decision and he wasn't ready and they really shouldn't have let him come back too soon. And then he comes back too soon and he gets injured and I'm like, you know, it's a freak accident and everyone can say whatever they want. And Abushi's definitely had plenty of injuries in the past, but I mean, working the G1 tour while also just coming back from pneumonia and not being hit 100% didn't help. I'm not saying that that's what caused it, but I'm saying that definitely didn't help, right? Um, so, yeah, just a, a bad situation. One thing I'll say about the final, though, is that I kind of liked that it that it when it ended. Like, if the match had basically been the same match, but Abushi just hits the, the fucking Phoenix Splash and wins... I thought I honestly thought that it was like better than what they like to do in these situations where they have these matches end up going like an hour, and just have a, basically at that point just do do a ton of near falls and dancing back and forth with counters. Um, up until that point, it had been pretty straightforward. Um, there had been very minimal like kind of big kickouts. There had been a couple already, and then I felt like you could have just gone home right there, and it would have actually been a perfect tournament final rather than you know or a better way of doing a tournament final than feeling the need to force this like gigantic epic hour-long match that they always have to do in every big match setting um so that was one thing that did cross my mind at the end of the match um that said like if you had had a better abushi who seemed more 100 percent there i mean even something like he does a big asai moonsault in this match and it's like it felt like it was a big key moment in it and the thing that crossed my mind is i was like you know, 100% Abushi, I bet he does the Golden Triangle moonsault there as a much bigger spot and much more bigger impressive spot instead of just a regular, you know, middle of the rope, like springboard moonsault kind of thing. Um, and that kind of crossed my mind too, where he's just, he just wasn't, he's just not 100% there, obviously. Um, so yeah, that did not, uh, did not help. Um, oh, want to correct, want to correct myself. I think it's a dislocated shoulder. I don't think it's okay. a broken arm. Okay. I think, I think, but uh, yeah. Well, that can be worse, honestly, depending, depending on, uh, if there's any ligament damage and if stuff holds in place, bones can heal a lot easier and are a lot cleaner than sometimes when you dislocate in a joint like that, it can be really difficult to get it back in place and get everything to heal up. So it's stable. You know, so. yeah, especially especially like bump like bumping on it all the time the way that the bushy bumps like yeah. a, dis- a dislocation a, a severe one for sure like can be like really nagging yeah no definitely definitely um so post match we get Okada he talks about that he doesn't want to uh, accept that as the finish accept that as the the match basically saying he wants to to do it again right um. We get kind of him talking down about the championship, the world title, as opposed to the heavyweight title. Um, And this is what crossed my mind. I talked about it before. We talked about them doing a double dash again and seeming like that's what they were setting up. But I realized we've got three nights, right? We've got three nights in the Tokyo Dome this time. Yep. You know what I'm seeing? Round Robin Tournament. Oh, boy. Three champions, round robin tournament, and then that way, because of how bad the houses have been, that way you don't have to say, oh, the last night is a mystery, we don't know what the match is, you can announce the main events for all three nights. Night one, Okada versus Osprey or whatever, night two, Okada versus Takagi, night three, Takagi versus Will, winner of the round robin gets the, you know, is the rightful champion, that way you got three champions, three belts, three nights, three main events. And uh, that's what I was like. Oh, okay, that makes sense. If they if they did it if they did it that way, okay. Would a three man round robin work? I think that you may if you like maybe like if Abushi and Naito are back, I feel like you should at least have a, you should you should have Abushi and Naito and I guess Jag in it and do like a six person round robin. Right. You could do something like that. You could do yeah like. I don't know. Maybe like an, I guess a number one contender round robin. 
and to champions around Robin. I don't know. Your idea, like, makes a lot of sense, actually. A round robin thing makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I just, I realized it, and I was thinking about the the ROH round robin, and I was like, oh my fucking god, that's what they're gonna do. They're gonna do three nights, three main events, three champions, and like, uh, you know, that way, because I mean, of course, we talked about the double gold and the double dash, and they're just gonna repeat it, but now they're doing three nights, so they gotta up the ante, and it can't just be three, you know, two championships, it's gotta be three championships to do the the triple you know thing so that's what i that's my prediction now we'll see if they get there but uh and again like i said it'll help because you can announce all the matches and that way the third night you know what the main event's gonna be um i mean we'll see we'll see what we end up with um but that's what i'm that's what i'm thinking and uh yeah i mean you do Um, do something underneath yeah uh don't forget tamatanka coming up to challenge for the briefcase Right, right. So we got that match will will come up next, but they've just they got a tour coming up that's starting like in a couple of days. So they've already got uh Kenta and Tanahashi set up and they'll they've got Ome or Okada and uh Tamatanga set up. So I don't know what they're gonna do with Takagi, like you mentioned. I mean you could you could do Takagi Zack and uh yeah, move it go on. I think Takagi Zack will I think I think Takagi Zack happens. Like that just works. It's a good filler defense. You clearly don't have like super big aspirations for Zach at the moment. He's gonna go back to being in the in in, in a Zach title program. So you can you can do Zach versus Takagi on like power struggle or whatever the fuck. Yeah, you can hold off uh, hold off Techers and God for one of the dome nights. Maybe um, wouldn't be. Wouldn't be crazy. I mean, although you got tag league coming up, right? Are they gonna? They're gonna do tag league again, probably. I don't know. Yeah. If it'll come before, eh, probably. They got to. They always do. I just I feel thrown off because I'm like, well, is G one late again or late this year? It's kind of late, but not like crazy. Well, yeah, it's pretty late. So I don't know. Maybe they'll have time for tag league still. Um, but yeah, just uh, I don't know. <sighs> Doing three domes with this bad of crowds already is just fucking nuts to me. But I don't know. Maybe they can turn things around a little bit by January. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I just... I, I think that, like, 2021 is just a punt year for for them for them realistically. Um, I think they'll try to get it back in 2022. Like, once, you know, things are back to full capacity in Japan and people can like really engage with the product again. I think that they'll like try to get things back on track, but as of right now, it's, it's a, it's a punt. It's a punt. Like it, and uh, like a lot of it is the booking hasn't been conducive to like, uh, putting the, putting their best foot forward. I think that like, I'm usually don't have a problem with the long matches, but these long, but these matches on these five match cards, four match cards, going pretty long and these main events always going 26 28 29 30 minutes it's 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 a lot and i think that and i know that they're trying to give like the live audience a show give them their money's worth but it 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 really is affecting the overseas perception of the promotion and i like new japan and i would like to see them get back to a place where they feel like a must-see product but you know I i think we said it a couple weeks ago it's like you know who would have thought that back in February and March that we'd be missing Will Ospreay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, maybe missing him is a little bit too strong, but definitely there would be a little bit more. I don't know, a little bit more you're, excitement. You're missing, you're, miss, you're missing a good. You're missing a good wrestler, man. Like, yeah. despite everything, like you're you're missing another good wrestler on the roster. I'd rather have him working twenty five minute matches than Tamatanga. <laughs> right. No. Exactly. Um. So here's one thing, because you're talking about it in the long matches and, and the crowd, giving the crowd a show and all this. is One thing I, th- I think, and, uh, you know, shout out to John from uh, from Wrestling Omakase, because he kind of mentioned this online. I've seen him mention it online. They. But, um, I'm sorry, they, they kind of mentioned that online. I, I apologize for that. Um, like, the idea that uh, everyone who's talking shit about... New Japan and nobody cares about it is Western fans, but the, the, you know, the fans in Japan still care. 
But with these attendance numbers, I don't know if that uh, talking point is necessarily 100% correct. I mean, they're not drawing crowds, so is that a, I don't know, is that a fair thing to even try to point out? Like, oh, there's still buzz in Japan? Because it doesn't, I don't know if that if that really works out. I, don't, I can't tell. I don't think there's buzz in, buzz in Japan. I, think, I don't think there's buzz in Japan for anything currently right now, though. I think that... Yeah wrestling overall is suffering in japan um i think across the board like even like for i think the west is like super into stardom right but if you like really look at stardom's numbers stardom's numbers at these shows aren't that good so i I think in i think in general in japan it's been it's been a thing where nothing no product is really that big feels that hot or, or or anything like that but I don't, I don't think that changes the fact that for the people that are at those shows, I think that when New Japan is working a five-match show instead of working their typical eight-match show, maybe nine-match show, and, and everything, I think that you know their thinking is making things longer so people have get their money's worth. And it might not it's not the best idea, obviously. It's not conducive to great wrestling all the time to be working this, these ridiculously long matches. But, yeah, I, I do think there's a, some level of, like, okay, there's still 2,000 people here. There's still a, there's still 1,000 people here. They still want to give them enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I guess my point is not, like, anti what you're saying about them trying to give the fans a show. My point is more like, sure, the buzz is down in America, but I don't know that it's necessarily a counterpoint to say, yeah, but it's still really hot in Japan, because it's not. It's, it's Oh, yeah, it's, it's, de- it's, def- it's definitely yeah, not. Yeah, I just think it's it's down across the board, and I mean, stardom, you said getting buzz in America, but I feel like, they didn't they just set some records for them? I mean, their attendance feels like it's going up, even if it's not great. They're on the upswing, and New Japan is on the downswing, it seems, even if in general, I mean, maybe they were, and then obviously there's been a, a second state of emergency announced recently, and and still a lot of issues. So maybe it's uh, you know people just don't want to go out. And it's kind of tough to talk about these numbers, and and especially now that America we're just like gung ho and saying fuck it, we're back to normal. Um, to spend so much time talking about any of that kind of stuff when it comes to drawing cr- crowds, because we're still in a global pandemic where people shouldn't be in in close proximity to each other technically but it feels like that's over i mean it's it's hard to argue that it doesn't i mean in day-to-day life the only difference is you wear a mask but you basically do everything else the same um and if you go outside to me go outside of los angeles other cities here in california people are not wearing masks and they don't have mandates and it's not required so i mean it's just like i I went to you know visit my in-laws last weekend and there's no mask mandate. I went to Orange County the weekend before that, and there's no mask mandate. So people are just walking around, and it's over. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely have to keep that in the back of your head when it comes to this attendance conversation, right? Is that people still are afraid to go out and afraid to go mm-hmm. be at, at wrestling shows. For sure. And I think that, you know, not only just being afraid, but, like, for the people that aren't afraid, it's... You can't enjoy a wrestling show the way that you want to enjoy a wrestling show the way that you're accustomed to. So even if you're like you might be vaccinated and you might have all this stuff going for you, if you're if you're in Japan trying to go to a wrestling show, you're like you're still you still got to clap, you still got to do this, you can't chant. You like this is a thing that's still happening. So if you're someone like ah man, like I'm not really like really getting like the same enjoyment out of it watching it this way. That's gonna be a thing for you where you're like, eh, maybe I should just stay home. No, definitely. That's uh, that's definitely true. Um, do you have any other thoughts on G One and New Japan, anything like that? Uh, no. I think that if I had to pick, my favorite match of the tournament was either Zack versus Shingo or Zack versus Okan. Uh, nothing here that is like a lock match of the year list kind of thing. No. Uh, like it helped Zach's case. Helped Zach being the best guy in a G one. Helped his case. Okan had a really good G one. I hope that I hope that this is a run that for people they'll stop questioning him. I think that we've very clearly seen what his talent level is. Whether whether it was facing Shingo, facing facing Zach, facing Ishii, 
Ocon delivered every time, and I think he showed a level of versatility that people probably didn't like didn't remember that he had in him. People forget what Ocon's like background before professional wrestling is. Right. So it, it it was good to see him get to uh, show some variety in the tournament, and I think that for us Ocon believers, it was a real encouraging sign. Like, yeah, Ocon's gonna be great. He might not be the great Ocon forever, and he probably shouldn't be, but. He's gonna be a really, really good wrestler, and he and he is one already. Yeah, no, definitely, he's definitely got it. And one thing people forget is like he's not only just a uh, you know Olympic level athlete, amateur wrestler outside of being the great Okan is that he's a wrestling fan. So he took to it really quickly because he was a big fan of wrestling already, uh, professional wrestling that is obviously. So yeah, like you said, the guy is like obviously a, a really good natural athlete, but also he understood the business and everything before coming in and uh, is really taken to it well once he's back here. Um, one thing that did cross my mind is like Jeff Cobb mentioned it. I've we mentioned it before. Like he had a good, he had a lot of good performances and a good G1, but being in the B block, he didn't have a lot of great partners to where he delivered great matches, um, which I, you know, people can point out whatever they want and say that that's, Oh, that's just the history of Jeff Cobb. He's always been a guy who just doesn't have great matches, whatever. But if you think about the same, matchups but you switched jeff with okan i think you end up with much better per, much better output from both guys or not much better for okan but equal output for okan and much better output for Cobb. because i just think that there was okan okan's a o- okan's a high floor guy yeah like i think that he's shown like his matches have a like have a really really high floor and then with Cobb, we've seen enough of him over the years to know that if Cobb's in there with someone that's like an elite talent Cobb will really, really show up, and who knows what we would have got? Like we've seen Cobb versus Shingo be great earlier this exactly. year. We've seen, uh, we've seen, we've seen Cobb versus Zach be phenomenal. Cobb versus Kenta would have been really fun. We like Cobb. We've seen Cobb versus Ishii be really great. If he was in that situation, then yeah, we'd probably be saying Jeff Cobb was the best yeah. guy in the tournament. Even something like Cobb versus Tangaloa taking the place of something like Cobb versus Yoshihashi, right? Like, you end up with a better match there. So I just think he would have been a lot more suited to have been in the A block against people that would have given him better matches. And Okan, I think, would have been just as good in the B block because he could have had good matches with a lot of the people over there. But, hey, you know what? Obviously, part of it was that they wanted the Cobb Okada storyline that they built throughout the tournament and and Cobb didn't have bad performances and all that but uh just just looking at it and I was like oh yeah you know you kind of kind of ended up that way that's okay Ocon is obviously the one that they're they have bigger plans for going down the line so it's not surprising um but either way transition from there to we were going to do some talk about uh WWE AEW and and you know, everyone's favorite topic, the ratings war. Not really. We're not really going to get into ratings war. Don't really care that much about it. There is, you know, some important points about it, but I don't care about the minutiae details. But one thing that we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, especially in the context of this, is uh, today there was WWE Crown Jewel, the WWE's, you know, big shows in Saudi Arabia, specifically, in, explicitly, Backed by the the Saudi government, um, sports washing, as people that, refer to it, the the travesty and the terrible crimes of the Saudi government, putting a veneer of a, a, a sparkling face on it through the WWE branding. Um, yeah, the Saudi the Saudi the Saudi government that quite literally are the ones that were responsible for <laughs> yes. uh, for nine for for nine for nine eleven, but then people like the. Uh, recently and deservedly to see Colin Powell blamed Iraq for. Of course. Of course. Yep. So um, rest in piss to <laughs> to a, 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 we'll say a real one in Colin Powell. Um, a real piece of shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. So one thing that stands out here is that this is like one of the only WWE shows throughout the year where the, the booking kind of makes sense. And I almost want to say like having fucking uh, MBS 
have some some sway on the booking decisions actually helps wwe make some better decisions it's fucking ridiculous <laughs> to say that but it's true but again the comparison it is true. the comparison to, to aew right there you've got middle eastern fail son billionaires who know how re- professional wrestling should be booked right um as opposed to vince mcmahon so hey what do you what uh what are the chances of that um, but yeah, I mean, you get stuff like Xavier Woods winning the King of the Ring after fucking talking about wanting to be the King of the Ring for seven years on social media in different places. You know, you get just clean babyface victories almost up and down the card. And then you get the final, uh, the final match with like a weird fucking booking with, with Roman and Brock where clearly this is just a bump in the road to continue on the same storyline that you're telling with, uh, with Paul Heyman and the, the love triangle between the three men. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's kind of shocking to say, these shows are fucking terrible. Everything about them is disgusting. They shouldn't exist. They're a big part of why WWE is a vile and horrible company that people just shouldn't support for any reason, let alone just the fact that the product is bad, but also that the people involved and the people that get enriched by the company are just, like, repugnant human beings. Um, but it is, like, a show that actually <laughs> is one of their better booked shows. So, hey, what are you going to do, you know? Uh, like, t- take take what you will from that. Um, AEW and WWE are heating up the war, going head-to-head. And uh, the results are in, and the results are pretty much what anyone with a brain could have predicted. But also, like, in some ways, just fucking catastrophic for the WWE in signs for their future. Uh, WWE wins by, you know, the, the just sure number of fans watching, but yeah, they won, they won, yeah, they won the total, but lost the demo. They win the total, lose the demo. That continues to be what we see every fucking time, but even the total is close and, uh, it's close. Everything is close enough to where you say WWE did crown jewel and probably made more money off of crown jewel than AEW will make for the entire year. WWE has existed for like a century um, and has name brand recognition and AEW has been around for like three years and is nipping at their heels and is beating them in the demo. And like I said, this is exactly what anyone would predict, but it's a fucking catastrophic outcome for the WWE, even though on paper you can try to pretend like they won, but go ahead. This is is what we said last week. It's like... They're gonna do this, and at some point, it's gonna bite them in the ass. Like they're gonna keep like playing these games with AEW, and it's like, okay, like you can keep doing this, but we've seen by now that AEW is real. So, like, like what exactly are you doing, or what exactly are are you gaining by doing that? Well, and I almost think that TK, like, unfortunately kind of overplayed his hand or, or showed his hand a little bit too much in a dumb way when when he said you know they're gonna go for the first half hour with no commercials and that's fine but like i could do that longer than them because i have more money than them i'm i have and and that's the thing that like maybe he should not point out because if he lets wwe continue to play this game this way where they they're just trying to bully this company like they have for so long at this point that they think that's the, you know, that's their pat hand. Um, they're not going to realize that they can't. And hopefully they just bleed themselves dry slowly over time. But if they realize that they can't play the game that way and they actually like try to improve the quality of their program, then you're, you're talking about actual competition, right? Then maybe we can end up with some real competition. Will it be? Who knows? But it is like, that's a, that's a closer call. But if WWE just tries to uh, continues to try to big brother them and tries to just use their size advantage, that's not working. <laughs> it's not working. They don't have a fan base that's excited and motivated for their product. And AEW does. And AEW does have the ability and the access to the capital to compete with them directly when it comes to money. So it's just, yeah, it's a, not a promising endeavor for WWE. Yeah, not not at all. But like, you know, I, think, I guess for like for people like me and you, like this shit is like boring and not interesting. Right. Like people are like, well, oh, like oh, like competition makes it makes things better. We've seen it historically. It's like, okay, like it's been two years and that still hasn't happened. I I'm done waiting for this idea that WWE is gonna suddenly get better because AEW's nipping at their heels. I don't think it's a life or death situation like it might have been before 
in the late in the late nineties, I have no faith at all in the last two years of content that WWE is going to get better, whether it's on SmackDown or Raw, NXT, whatever, that they're gonna get better because of this. So it's like the same kind of stupid dry ratings talk every week and it's like all right man like we know wwe has the head start they're gonna they have the name brand they're gonna win they're gonna win in, in, to, in total viewership across their main shows but aw is gonna win the demo we know that and there's no reason to think that wwe is going to put their best foot forward anytime soon because they haven't done that in the last two years yeah so it's uh it's troubling, and it's definitely troubling if you watch NXT. You know, not troubling. It's 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 happy as far as I'm concerned. Um, it's a good thing. But you watch something like NXT, and you see what Vince is looking for and what he's trying to do, and it's like even someone like Braun Breaker, who you could say is the most promising kind of act that they're really getting behind and is probably going to win the NXT championship here coming up. He's fucked. He, he is fucked when he gets to the main roster. He's fucked. And, I mean, yeah, he's fucked. They... Uh, Everything that's working with him and the reason why people like him is is they're actively diminishing. They are actively in their booking and the way that they present him, they're hurting him and he's overcoming it, which might be a requirement. You know, at this point, to be a WWE top guy, you have to be able to overcome bullshit. That's like part of the rules, I guess. Um, but yeah, like when he gets to the main roster and he doesn't really stand out as much with the way that they're using him, the way that they present him, the things that they do to... to to kind of handcuff him, he's going to be fucked. And it is like, God damn, like you guys have something here, like take advantage of it and, and use it the right way, but they, they won't. Meanwhile, you turn around and you look at, I mean, you said you watched Brian Suzuki, like come the fuck on. When you want to talk about how do you use somebody like both those guys are used perfectly in that situation. Um, you've got your biggest star at this point, the guy who clearly is making it, you know, a big difference. One of your biggest stars, at least, you know, when it comes to professional wrestling, like the wrestling side of things. Um, and he's being presented as weak, you know, to this legend that's coming in, but he overcomes it and stuff like, like come on. Like, you think WWE does anything like that? Like the way that they, they presented that where he had this big mountain to climb from this, you know, legend who's coming in, who, who lost to Moxley just recently, but it didn't matter in the moment. No one's really thinking about that because the way it's being presented, it really fucking worked. So, yeah, it's just, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe if you have any thoughts on the match itself or, or in the context of what I'm saying there. Repeat what you said. Uh, that, like, Brian Danielson versus Suzuki is shows just the complete opposite of what WWE is doing where you present these people perfectly and you use these talents to the best ability that you can to make stars and get crowd into the match. Yeah, Brian versus Suzuki. Like, if you if you watched the Minoru Suzuki matches in the U.S. over the last month, they haven't been great. They've been a lot of Minoru Suzuki playing the hits, but it's a worker that knows how to work. And even coming into a major company and working within the confines of their television, like Minoru Suzuki has done when it's come to his stuff with Moxley, the tag match with Archer against 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 Mox and Kingston, and here against Danielson. They know what he's good at, and they just let him do what he's good at. They don't try to overcorrect or overdo anything with him. He's they have enough trust in a guy that's been wrestling since nineteen fucking ninety to know how to wrestle. Like, you know, <laughs> that's not something that you would get in WWE. That they would, oh, we trust you here. We here do what you're good at, and then you know you can go. We trust you to go figure it out, figure it out, figure it out from there, and. The Danielson, the Danielson versus Suzuki match was really, really good. wasn't great, wasn't amazing. The, the, like, like I said, the Suzuki stuff in the U.S. has been uh, playing the hits, paint by numbers, all that kind of stuff. But it's fun, entertaining wrestling, and it's cool to see that match happen finally, even on a fucking pre-show to the actual television show that was airing that week. It was, it was really, it was really cool to see. It was really cool to see uh Danielson selling for him and how how into it the crowd was and all that stuff but I thought the more interesting stuff and the more notable stuff of the week beyond the demo beyond everything is officially announcing that Lee Moriarty and Daniel Garcia are signed like and we've seen these guys on AEW they've gotten these shots we saw Lee Moriarty versus Bobby Fish we saw Daniel Garcia get all these different looks on Rampage 
uh, with 2.0 and also these wins on Dark. We've seen it, but officially announcing these two signings and it felt like big deals. And it's a really good, cool thing when we've seen these bigger names come in. We've seen Punk come in. We've seen Adam Cole come in. We've seen Danielson come in. But it speaks to the level of talent and investment that AEW has in this talent that Lee Moriarty and Daniel Garcia signing felt like a big deal. Yeah, and I think that's another one where it's, I feel like those were both kind of known and out there already, but but it speaks to the the smart you know use of this kind of stuff by AEW booking is that they they didn't just announce it the second it happened, but they announce it now where there's a ton of buzz going on, so you're getting even more attention. It's that buzz multiplier. It's that oh check it out we're hot and you know. Lee Moriarty was on this pre-show with Danielson and Suzuki, and then, oh yeah, he's also signed. And like you are talking about Garcia, like more buzz and being built, you know, and people have eyes on the company, and oh yeah, he's signed, so it just, it stands out. Um, one thing I wanted to, you know, also talk about, right a- like right after Suzuki Danielson, you get Punk versus Seidel, and I mean, fuck, it, this is shocking, because Danielson coming in and being as good as he is, was kind of I, I I honestly kind of take took it as I'm just excited to see the best in the world finally get to show off what he can do again and I did not I had no doubts in my mind that he would do it but Punk I was a little iffy on what his matches were going to be like but Jesus Christ if he's not delivering some of the best work of his of his entire fucking career this match was amazing yeah. I mean he's just so fucking good and a match with Seidel I mean god damn like Seidel has been really good lately obviously but Punk is having some of the best wrestling matches for storytelling and the work and even keeping up physically in there than he, that he's ever done. It's just, it's shocking. And it's another big, big piece of what's going to make AEW, like you said, for real. What's going to make a AEW a big deal? What's going to make it a real deal company moving forward is something like that, where they've got CM Punk giving career work at this point. It's fucking shocking. Yeah. Yeah, it's... And that we're, look, look, and remember, we're only like scratching the surface, right? When it comes when it comes to punk, when it comes to punk too, like we're still only only scratching the surface of like what punk's like best stuff is still gonna look is still gonna be and still gonna be and look like because we're still haven't gotten punk in a in a feud or anything. No, it's 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 remarkable. No, it's I mean, goddamn man, this company is really hitting with all cylinders. Alistair Black versus Dante Martin, another one that's just like, goddamn, great, great star making performances. Great, clearly you got some kind of something brewing with this guy. And I just, they continue to really, they're using Dante Martin really well and he continues to impress to where I'm just like, goddamn, it's it's not going to be too long before you're, we're not going to be thinking about Dante Martin as a top level guy in this company. Like I, I can just see it coming already. So hopefully, hopefully, you know, it continues on this path, but again the way that they're able to make people and the way they're able to make stars and all this and a lot of it being just go out there and do what you do best it's really fucking impressive and and, the, and i'm still thinking of dante martin individually it's like people forget that his brother is also good yeah. <laughs> like right? and his brother's in, and his brother's injured and hasn't been there but like remember the real money is still in top flight as a tag team and them being like like kind of like the heirs to the bucks possibly right like yeah everyone's been so wrapped up in this dante martin stuff and he again he's like you mentioned you mentioned it a while ago that he's doing stuff at like right now that will osprey can't even like that you can't even couldn't have, have couldn't have imagined will osprey at his most athletic yeah. doing that's that's how special dante martin is as a as a flyer with his athleticism but right here we're still waiting for Darius to come back. And when Darius comes back, we could be looking at a team that that still has to develop and grow, but a team that should be the future of AEW one day. No, oh, yeah, of course. Of course. And you've got the, a great tag team division. You've got great stars that are just begging to continue to be pushed. Like Their biggest issue is they don't have enough t- uh, TV time, right? That's like the biggest issue they have. Yeah. Is they don't have enough time for how much talent they have. But you do get cool stuff still where, like, Wheeler Yuta just defended the and lost the IWTV championship like a week ago, and he's an AEW you know affiliated talent. So you can still you got these guys out doing other stuff. So even if they don't have enough TV time for everybody, you still got interesting things going on in the Indies. You got Moxley winning the GCW title, keeping the GCW title, like you know, cool shit going on there. Like 
not everybody, even if they don't have enough TV time, they're also still having people doing stuff out and around the indies, out and around the world, hopefully when everything gets back to normal. Um, I don't have much else to talk about. I could probably keep going for way longer than we need to. Quentin, you got anything else you want to talk about before we go? Uh, No, I don't, unless you wanted to like shoehorn whatever like latest political topic into um in, into the into discussion uh what are your thoughts on uh I, um, ivermectin being used to uh to fight off to fight off COVID? hey listen don't call it cor- uh horse paste right um yeah i don't i don't know did you see uh what's his name joe rogan calls some jay gupta a motherfucker or whatever because don't because you guys are calling it horse paste. oh man he really shut him down like it's again it's the same thing we were talking about earlier where like where the where the information comes from is they get to frame it however they want that and you know in that situation whatever sanjay gupta was it sanjay gupta i feel like it was i don't know i'm i you're wrong um uh is like taking joe rogan's framing of it at face value media was not calling it horse paste just because they're saying oh it's only meant for horses they were directly calling it out because there was an issue with people who were not being prescribed it properly intentionally purchasing and using the horse branded horse paste version of it to work around the actual medical professionals that's why it was being called that way because people were legitimately taking horse paste if people like joe rogan and alex jones want to get prescripted prescription ivermectin that's meant for humans that's a different story but that was not the story that people were talking about so whatever yeah yeah we can want to get into this did you see the teacher doing the uh sakatoa dance um you know we can get, that was fucking that insane. shit was fucking brutal like I, I, no i saw that that was a high school too yeah. and like i would have understood if it was like an elementary school like a kin or, or, or like a middle school but to do that for the high schoolers is fucking wild yeah, that shit was not cute man that was like fucking just disgusting nope but like she kept doing like like not that like i don't like people i'm not one of people that like oh well, what was the context of it why would she be like what what was she must have like no she was doing that to be like racist and weird but she did that for like a whole fucking minute and yeah and the ma- the first video that went around was like one thing but then i guess there's a second video where she got up on a desk and continues to do it even beyond that like just no that 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 woman has to be like has to have something going on mentally. Yes, I guess. Like, like that. that like, no, nah, there's yeah, there was there was no fucking way. Yeah, that shit was fucking brutal. That shit was brutal. Um, Joe Biden now cares about trying to get this infrastructure bill passed now that it's been cut basically in half. Shocking, right? Um, yeah, there's there this fucking <laughs> world is fucked, man. <laughs> We're fucked. Uh, uh yeah, read uh. Read Blood My by George Jackson, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's all I, that's all I, can, all I can say. We're gonna, you, you guys are gonna, you guys are, everyone's gonna need a copy of it in the next fucking yeah, three or four right. years. Ah, uh, uh, there's a there's a couple of different things I could say people need to buy, but I'm not going to uh, not gonna get into that. Um, <laughs> next week, <laughs> at some point, we will be doing a special review of live experience of GCW, uh, Bloodsport primarily, but I'll, I'll I'm. Go- theoretically i'm gonna to go to both shows we'll see how i feel for the saturday show i get to see psycho clown and live i'm very excited for that you know um actually there is some stuff that i'm excited about for that show but uh either way uh be excited for that we'll have a very special guest on with us uh quentin you got anything else you want to uh talk about before we head out anything else you want to say to the people before we leave uh i mean you probably all follow me already on twitter but at qt underscore moody and look for updates on the blog that I'm going to commit to and post stuff on called Find a Topic. You can find it in the link to my uh, to my uh, link in my bio on my Twitter. I'll be posting some match reviews, essays, whatever the fuck comes to mind. Uh, but yeah, did an introductory post for it. Uh, it's a blog that I had an idea for four years ago, but like I never like really committed to it. And then like nothing ever came from it. But I'm going to stick with this blog post on there and you'll get some reviews and whatever other, other kind of shit on there. Uh, I won't be as prolific with individual match reviews as Brock or Simon, but I'll figure, I'll figure some stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's exciting. I saw that first introductory post. I read that and uh, I am definitely very, very excited to see more 
uh, from uh, from Quentin in your writing there. I'm, I'm definitely into it. And uh, you mentioned Twitters there. I have to call it out. People follow the fucking podcast Twitter because some jerk off made fun of me because the podcast Twitter doesn't have enough followers the other day. And, uh, and you know, I just don't want some, some asshole being able to poke fun. He said He said that the podcast is a joke because he had more followers than it. And that's not, that's just not right. <laughs> that's, oh man i didn't know that yeah, one it, i really didn't care this guy was a fucking moron um <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah get, get us okay get us to like a hundred eighty yeah, followers okay a hundred a hundred a hundred stretch goal a hundred eventually but like a hundred by the end of the year but like get us to 80 please. but like the, the middle of november literally please. never tweet from that account but you know just follow it come on <laughs> All right. Other than that, I think we're good here. Nice having an abbreviated episode for once. But thank you all for listening and hope you're here next time. You pull up to a red light. A man jerks your door open, says, out of the car, I'm taking your car. You say, okay, take it. Just don't hurt me. You know what I do? I pull out the clock, put it on his forehead. Bitch, I write a scene of your life, and I only rap by the spike. Lost is a theme on my life, after the steam and the hype. Duh. This is my career, not a dice. Never take L's to a light. Bitch, I am a burpee as a type. So jump fucking at advice. New block, leave it at the Christ. Boy, jugging, eat a Harley. Don Callis never been a carny. Ain't no way showing up a doggy. Me and Tina fucking back at night.